On this podcast, you're going to be hearing some pretty terrible subject matter. We know what you're thinking. That's why we're here. Keep going. However, topics covered may cause emotional or physiological distress to listeners and discretion is advised. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Hi, guys and dolls, and welcome to That's Terrible. Keep going. <laughs> I'm Casey Kay. And I'm special co-host MK. Oh, special. That's a bit of a stretch, <laughs> but it's about time we got you back on the podcast. Yes, I'm uh, back for more punishment. Yes. Well, guys, I made the mistake of telling my twin brother, Max, the truth that his episodes, so right back to episode six, the St. Francis Dam disaster, was actually our second most popular episode, which... It surprises me, Max, because I thought it was dry content and dry guest. What can I say? The people like what the people like. (laughs) (laughs) So I told him this and then I thought, well, get him back on for another ep and I'll I'll tell you what it is in a sec. But I... And do you know what he said? I messaged him. We were all both at work. And I said, you know, come over. I'll make you snacks. We'll get you. uh, You know, we can go get sandwiches or whatever. He... I sent this beautiful message and he writes back really simply, one ep... One sandwich, <laughs> two ep, two sandwich. Well, I've been hearing so much about the uh, the local sandwiches here that I'm just um, like any any good businessman. I gotta <laughs> I gotta know my worth, you know. <laughs> and it's but so no, funny it's be because back. the sandwich shop is actually closed at night, and we both have full time jobs, so he's getting no sandwiches, and all he's getting is uh, the the glorious story that I'm about to tell today. No, we're very glad to be back. It's always fun. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so should we dive in? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's about time you're back and about time we have another disaster ep. Oh, gosh. I think we can't go past this one and it's not a natural disaster, I'm afraid, another man-made one. Mm. But uh, I think you heard of it, but we're going to give it a shot. It's called the Great Molasses Flood. Oh, I've heard bits and pieces on this one before, but it sounds like an interesting one. Well, that's the first one because normally when we're talking to Amy Kay, I know she's heard of many of the cases we've done, but her little rem- memory makes it like a new story every time. <laughs> like a goldfish in a goldfish bowl. <laughs> That's exactly right. So this is the Great Molasses Flood, everyone, and it was in 1999 in Boston, Massachusetts. And some of the news and media at the time actually referred to it as the Boston's version of Pompeii. Well, what year was it, sorry? 1919. Okay. Did I say 91 by accident? I think so. That's yeah, okay. But yeah. 1919. Yeah. Oh, you're so forgiving. So let's start with uh, where where it was and what it was. Hmm. So first of all, what is molasses? So I was going to ask, yeah. So <laughs> at least like for cooking, right? Yeah, and it's essentially the residue that's left over after sugar cane is boiled to extract extract sugar. Hmm. And for those playing along at home, we can draw similarities to golden syrup or... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That sort of amber kind of really sugary, very thick. Um, that's like right. High, it's high viscous. Yeah, or if in the UK they're used to using a lot of treacle. Hmm. It's So it's golden amber color, with a, which is a bit... So if it's, that's like golden syrup, molasses is a bit darker. But they do, like you said, share similar viscosity mm-hmm. or liquid thickness. Um, but they're all belong in the same family, and they're all a byproduct of refined sugar. Mm. So molasses itself has some nutritional value, so traces of iron, selenium, copper, and calcium. But these minerals or nutrients are in much greater qualities in other foods. Mm-hmm. So don't just think you can just 
eat tubs of molasses and be like, I'm strong. (laughs) So molasses is used to produce products such as cattle feed and rum. And of course, as you mentioned, it's a key cooking ingredient for things like gingerbread, ginger cookies, brown bread, and apparently in Boston, it's made in Boston baked beans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so a bit of a, uh, a, a uh, sweetie a candy if you will <laughs> yes a candied bean also this case actually taught me that in world war one so between 1914 and 1918 it was also used in the process of making some munitions mm. does that ring a bell I'm not too sure, actually. But, Damn it. Um, I suppose, yeah, I don't know. A lot of industry was geared towards yeah, that. Yeah, so. all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, you're my expert. You and Dad are my expert on all things wars mm. and world wars. So why are we in Boston and why did they have so much molasses? So Boston had long been a main molasses center and a major player in the triangular trade dealing in molasses, rum, and slaves. Mm. Plantations on the English colonies of Jamaica and Barbados grew sugar, processed it into molasses, and shipped to Boston, where local distilleries turned it into rum. Oh, okay. I was wondering what the because I, I I wouldn't have thought of um, associated that area with uh, sugar, but yeah, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yep. same. It's it, so this is all where it sort of takes shape and why they might have had so much of it. So mm-hmm. New England, so the area um, of in Boston, Massachusetts, ships carried the rum to Africa and traded rum for slaves. Mm. This is an extreme degree of terrible in its own in terms of the slavery at the time. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, but the ships then carried the slaves to the islands, sold them to work on the plantations, and then returned to Boston filled with more molasses on those mm. ships. So ship owners, plantations, and distillers made fortunes by tra- trafficking the people, sugar, and rum. Mm-hmm. And, of course, obviously these slaves did not benefit from this in, in any way, shape, or form. Even after the slave trade finally ended, Boston actually continued to produce vast quantities of rum. Mm. As a result, the distillers needed a lot of molasses and then somewhere to store it. Mm. So the storage at the heart of today's disaster was a tank that was built in 1915 along Boston's waterfront on Commercial Street, opposite Copps Hill on Boston's north edge. Mm -hmm. It was operated by the Purity Distilling Company, a subsidiary of United States Industrial Alcohol, or as it was known, USIA. Mm-hmm. At the time, industrial alcohol then made from f- fermented molasses was highly profitable. Right. And this particular site, um, it actually wasn't primarily used for rum, but more of distilled alcohol. Mm. So the pure sense of alcohol. Now, this tank was chunky as hell. More than 15 metres high, 90 metres wide, and could hold up to 9.5 million litres of molasses. Mm. So I was doing this in terms of what it was in Olympic-sized swimming pools. And I looked it up. That's nearly four, of course, of course, uh, four Olympic-sized swimming pools of sweet, hot syrup. That's a lot of molasses. That's a lot of sticky stuff. Was it stored hot or was it... It was. Mm. So it was stored hot and it was kept or else it was too hard for it to ferment. Sort of solds up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and it needed to be warm to begin that fermenting process. Mm -hmm. And so out of that big, chunky tank... Um, There was only one solitary vent that was used to outlet the gases from the fermenting Mm. process. So to me, that's a bit sus. 
but I'm no tank expert. So I wonder what's the, so is that like, um, I guess what, like the steam coming off the molasses or like from being hot or like I other? I think when things break down. So if you think of the. Oh, yeah, the, it's all organic and everything. Exactly. Yeah, so it's okay. like an organic compact breaks down and or just different enzymes yeah, in the molasses. Okay. It releases right. the fermenting gas. So we're starting to think about there might be a bit of a pressure build up in that tank or something. Well, mm. we get to it. But, a bit um, foreshadowing. Yeah, very foreshadowing. Who would have thought? This podcast would take me back to my food tech days in high school. Um, perhaps a recipe for disaster. Oh. <laughs> if Amy Kay was here. That is just oh, awful. We're going to have to start video recording our reactions because my brother <laughs> just gave me one that just is going to shut this episode down. Oh, oh Lord. Um, the, this chunky tank was built really quickly, which is always problematic. And much like my eyes watching Disney Pixar's Up, it was leaky from the start. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I knew you were going to be here well, Pixar, today. Pixar does get you there. Like, oh. just as a bit of a segue, like Toy Story um, oh, 3. Mm, that one definitely. gets me every time. Oh, yeah. And you're a little, little crybaby. Mm. <laughs> um, but Disney Pixar, at the start, <laughs> the grandparents cry. Yeah. Look, I think me and my brother are weary. We've had a long day at work and I knew I, I put some really tacky jokes into this. Mm. So someone's going to be driving on the way to work listening to this being like, I don't have time for this shit. Yeah, I know. Or, and, or they might start crying if they think of Toy Story 3. Of course. <laughs> and in that way, we offer a variety of emotions on this this podcast. Oh, well, that's, um, that's terrible. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but I can back to molasses. Yes, back to molasses. So it was leaky at the start and also emitting rumbling noises nevertheless it continued to be used and what was the usia's response to the leaky warning you ask they painted the town the tank brown to camouflage the dripping drippings (laughs) really (laughs) they're like nothing to see here folks that's classic isn't it yeah and on Jan 13, just two days before the disaster, it had been filled almost to capacity and people later described hearing it make deep rumbling noises. <laughs> That's never a good sign it's, in these old-timey industries. Oh, and like I swear in all these disasters cases, everyone's like, she was a screaming. Like she was- I just reckon, like, do you reckon there would be a lot of ants around the leaking molasses <laughs> tank or people licking the walls? <laughs> <It's> like- <laughs> How would you feel like seeing all this delicious like molasses dripping off the side? I think you'd get sick of it pretty quick. Mm. Like maybe the first few days, like. Mm. But think about oh, I just think the ants. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> one, one beg, yeah, one, yeah, one begs one begs pundits. the question: mm. How um, rich in in um, experience the ants would have had in that time? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe someone's doing an ant podcast, and we could do a crossover. Um, but now we get to that fateful day in January fifteenth, nineteen nineteen. So apparently, the outdoor temperature rose to un- an unusual balmy forty-five degrees Fahrenheit, which is around about eight degrees Celsius. Remember, this is Boston in January, so they're winter. And typically, degrees is when I look this up only fluctuate between negative five and a high of three degrees celsius so it was floating around eight degrees already Mm. hot and that molasses goo is all like oh i'm so hot and so rumbly you Mm. know um Mm. and now at approximately 12 30 p.m so midday the tank exploded whoa metal rivets half an inch thick were torn apart and flew through the air like shrapnel the power of the explosion sent them with so much force that some of the shrapnel actually cut into the steel girders of a nearby elevated railway 
and the explosion also created a vacuum immediately after the initial burst. So did it not just like so you're saying there's actually like an explosion, not just like the tank like popping like like actually, buckling and cracking. It wow. went boom, like a, an explosion, so and because we gas hear, or something, yeah. yeah. So we hear later and the pressure and how much liquid it was oh, at wow. capacity, but we hear later what people actually recalled, and so like that vacuum was immediately created after the initial blast, which destroyed even more buildings, dragged a truck across a street, and pulled a train off its tracks. Oh my. And I suppose then, yeah, being in the docks, that would have been a pretty active area and everything. Absolutely, mm. yep. And then the flood of the molasses began. Oh, gosh. So the explosion sent what an eyewitness called a 30-foot wall of goo. But in actuality, the resulting wave of molasses was later... So it's about 10 metres. Well, I'll do it for you, Joel. But yeah, it, around that, but um, the resulting was determined to be 15 to 40 feet, so 5 to 12 metres mm. um, high, and some 160 feet or 49 metres wide. And this was flooding down Commercial Street at a speed estimated at 35 miles per hour or over 55 kilometers per hour. That's a pretty fast wall of molasses. Yeah, that's faster than a school zone. Um, <laughs> if you think about a, a car, you know, hitting pedestrians, that's fast, yeah. this is a, a hot goo going down the street. Now, a man called Isaac Yetton was hauling a load of automobile Water. inner tubes <laughs> into a shed when he heard a snap. So that's that. That, and that, that initial mm. explosion. According to court transcripts, he saw an electric railway car swinging towards him along with bottles and freight boxes. So just c- carnage from the town. Mm. He ran towards the harbour only to be overtaken by the wave of hot molasses. And he was carried over 10 metres before slamming against a door. Injured and completely covered in molasses, he managed to grab a ladder thrown to him by a foreman nearby and he only just survived. That's a sticky boy. (laughs) That is a real sticky boy. A goo boy, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave that in. I'm not going to edit that out. I'm going to leave that in and people are going to ban you from this podcast. They're going to love it. So a 70-year-old Commercial Street resident, Elizabeth O'Brien, walked out of her home with a tub of clothes to just to do some washing when she heard a large sound. She later testified, adding, it knocked me down and tipped the tub over me. Her jaw was broken, and when she woke up, the entire building was gone. Her sister was found alive in hospital days later, having suffered a stroke and disfigurement because of the hot molasses. How crazy is that? The Bay, uh, the Bay State Street Railway Freight Depot and several motorized boxcars were all destroyed mm. as well. On the waterfront now, at Boston Fireboat Number 31, several tradesmen were sitting playing cards and eating their lunch because it was midday. Mm, of course. The firehouse was knocked off its foundation's burying the men. One firefighter was in an 18-inch crawl space trying to keep his head above molasses, but ultimately he couldn't do it and he perished. So a five-ton Mack truck was picked up by the wave and slammed into the building. The city paving department office and stable were also erased within seconds, killing five men and a number of horses. It's absolutely crazy, isn't it? It's just mental so to it, think so about. Is, is it, so it's not so much the, the whatever the explosion was, but it's really just the, the or a bit of both in the wave of the actual yep. the molasses, yeah, the goo. So I think obviously the stuff with the initial vacuum of the explosion pulled a lot of the stuff close to it, um, like 
derailing that but then it's the goo the wave of the goo so mm. and as this gooey mess covered the neighborhood and it spread out to be an actual around two to three foot thick layer across the downtown area it buried and drowned people and animals obviously too in its path Terrible. so although help arrived quickly the hardening molasses made rescue efforts pretty difficult so this help or rescue is by way of police officers, fireys, the Red Cross volunteers and Good Samaritans quickly became stuck in it and had to be pulled out themselves. Mm. And cleanup efforts lasted for weeks and Boston reportedly continued to smell like molasses for years I'd afterwards. I'd imagine. Yeah, I wonder if there's even still some residue today. Oh, I'll get I'm to sure. it on the outro. Yeah, wow. oh, you, are, you are foreshadow king today. Mm. Um, and sadly, even a week after the disaster, the body of a child was found behind a freight train. It's really shocking, honestly. Mm. Like, hey, kind of, it's, I reckon it's, it's kind of hard because we, we can, you know, you see videos of like, tsunamis and things but like it's all very quickly and rushed whereas it's just just like you know big wall of just goo and if we're getting super um scientific the molasses is a non-newtonian liquid in that Mm. it doesn't respond to forces like you naturally would so as pressure is put upon it and as the viscosity changes it changes the way it'll impact Mm. you so even people getting stuck in water that's only two foot you can fight against it Mm. but something like this as you push and strike it, you become almost kind of like quicksand and it's hardening yeah, as it's cooling down. Yep. Yeah. So um, farmers from neighboring towns took weeks to cart away the molasses. More than 400 men were involved and it took months to recover all the bodies. I wonder where they put all the molasses. Like, I wonder if they wanted to use it or they just you know, put it in yeah. there. Landfill or something? I probably should have researched that. No. <laughs> um, a total mm. of 21 men, women and children were killed. Many yeah, of that whom... That is terrible. Yeah, were suffocated by the sewer. Oh, gosh. Moreover, they counted 12 horses with which the Boston Post wrote at the time, quote, died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. Mm. And uncounted numbers of dogs and cats which died all in this great flood. Jeez. So of that total, so the 21, so different articles that I was looking at, it was like the first uh, body count, unfortunately, was around just double digits, around 11 mm. people um, that they found initially and they were recovering bodies thereafter. But also a lot of people died succumbing to injuries or um, infections because of burns. And, they, yeah. you know, in 1919, they wouldn't have been well equipped with dealing with burns, mm. which is sort of like chemical burns because it's hot mm. sugar. Do you remember that time you got burnt by honey out of the microwave? Yeah, I guess that's probably the closest parallel. That was like just a drop on my hand and that was – I mean, but mind you, that was like bubbling, so it was very, Molten. very hot. But, yeah. Um, yeah, you could just see, like I think – I just think anyone who's ever done like, like you know, taffy caramel, or caramel. Yeah, caramel popcorn or something at home, you know, made of caramel. You just think of that like, you know, the that's hot. probably a bit hotter than this molasses. But even just think of like hot, sticky, like anything. I think that can be hot enough to hurt you, and um, like it's sort of you can't wash it off like water. Oh. Or something. You know, it's just quite scary. It's I think. so scary. Yeah. Uh, and um, or even even if you have something sticky and like you're trying to wash it off your hands, but imagine that's up to your neck in it. Like how much you how scary and agonizing that must be. 
Mm. And imagine the even authorities or healthcare professionals or whatever oh, it no is, one would know. first responders, how mm. you can adequately do this. Yeah. And we'll definitely post some photos of the carnage and just these um, rescue workers trying to work through it. They've got boots on and stuff like that, but it was nearly impossible for mm. them to get access to areas. So on the back of this, numerous lawsuits were filed in the wake of the disaster. While victims alleged that the tank was not safe, the USIA claimed that it had been sabotaged by evilly disposed persons. So surely there must be a bit more. I'm sure there might be like what the rival rum company or something. Yeah, so there was a bit of that. But what they actually meant or um, what they were trying to do. So you'll see Crazy people or something. Well, no, it gets even um, worse. These evilly disposed persons accusations were almost entirely aimed at the Italian immigrants with which the neighbourhood was made up of around 90% of these Italian people mm. at the time. And the lawyers very much uh, exploited the anti-Italian sentiment already running high in Boston. So basically they were blaming the explosion on the Italian anarchists. Yeah. Which is silly. If they occupy 90% of the area, why would they destroy it? As well as a lot of the business, as well as um, you can imagine this time where pre- um, the prohibition where or we're just getting into that there was a lot of mob activity so there's a lot of different background mm. or historical culture or context around I think this. it's pretty common in history isn't it really whenever there's like a minority popular you know it's like always a good scapegoat you know yeah. us against them kind of mentality so sure. I, I could see that for sure In 1925, however, in a class action lawsuit, it was ruled that the tank was unsound, Mm. i.e. too thin and poorly built. Sounds like it, yeah. And the USIA was ordered to pay damages. A state auditor ruled that the company's negligence led to a structural failure of the tank and Mm. victims and families were granted around about 628,000 in damages. So that's in today's money. Each or collectively? I think... Groups of them were awarded that sort of pocket of them. Mm. And I think there was in the, when I looked up in one of the articles, it said one of, it was around 127 people filed Mm. for access to this. So I think they were in in groups were awarded this amount. Mm. So um, in addition, the disaster actually resulted in stricter construction codes being adopted by the states across the country. So it was the first of its time in terms of that type of disaster. Um, But so wrapping up this story, today only a small park in the north ends of Puapolo Park actually commemorates the disaster and now a playground and baseball field presently occupies the site of the blast. And finally I'll finish with this and you touched on it. Local residents claim that on a steamy summer night you can still smell the sweet aroma of molasses. I'd believe it. I believe it. Oh, I... I will close my eyes and I'll smell it when mm. I go over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. But that's well, yeah. that's the episode of our second disaster on the podcast. Oh, that, that is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Keep, no, look, very, yeah, very interesting story. I think it just, it just goes to show that there's just so many bad things that can happen when things go wrong. Like oh. something unassuming as molasses, you know, yeah. just one can cause wreak so much havoc when, you know, with a perfect storm of bad conditions. So, Absolutely. Uh, very, very interesting, but actually. We mm. hope you guys liked another episode with Max K as co-host or guest host. Amy K will be back with us next week. And Max, help us tell the guys where they can find the pictures. Yeah. So on jump on Instagram at TTKG podcast and Gmail. 
feel free to uh, email in. <laughs> <laughs> Say uh, which co-host you prefer better, uh, Amy or Max, at <laughs> gmail, podcast at gmail.com. Awesome, guys. And if Amy K was here, she would say TTYL from TTKG. And whatever you're doing, guys, just if it's rough um, or you're doing some good in the world, all that we ask you do is... That's terrible. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. All right, guys. Thanks for joining, Max. See you, everyone. See you, guys. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. Have you got a terrible story of your own? A connection to true crime or something terrible? Write to us at ttkgpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who you are, where you're from, and whether the story and names are safe to share on the podcast. Feel free to tell us if you wish to remain anonymous. We would love to hear from you, and we would love to share your terrible tales with our listener friends.